Lord Jesus, we're asking that you will speak to us tonight. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to understand you? Open our minds to understand you? Would you speak to us and change our lives? You promised that if we pressed on to know you, you'd respond to us. So we're asking for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, you can sit down. We're in the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and Mr. Matt will get you one. Anybody need a Bible? Okay, there's Mr. Matt. He'll get you one. And if you guys own a Bible, I want to encourage you to bring it on Thursday nights because it's going to make all the difference in you understanding what we're talking about. And if you don't own a Bible, then you and I will go down to Mardell's and I'll buy you one as long as you promise to read it. We're in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a story, is the account, the historical account by Dr. Luke of the things that the Holy Spirit of Jesus did through his apostles after he left. Guys, remember, Jesus came, God came in human form, born in Bethlehem, grew up, and he died for the sins of all humanity. He stepped off this planet, but before he did, he handed the responsibility of building his kingdom to the people at the cornerstone and the people who came before. We're building a kingdom, guys. We didn't just come to hear about stuff that happened a long time ago. We're, we're looking toward the future because Jesus is coming back to receive the kingdom that we are preparing for him. So, Acts 5 is, actually, we're still in Acts 4. Acts 4 is, we, 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 last week we talked about the persecution against the people who stood up for Jesus. And the persecution against the people who stood up for Jesus back then was a lot worse than the persecution of the people who stand up for Jesus right now. But they are an example for us of what we ought to be living our lives like. That because of the, how they responded to the persecution that was against them, because of that, the power of God was poured out on them. That's what we talked about last week. So here we are picking it up in the end of chapter 4. But before that, I want to ask you guys a question, okay? I'm going to ask you a question, and I know that a lot of you are going to want to raise your hands. But don't raise your hand, okay? Actually, I'm not sure if you guys would raise your hands or not, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. So here's my question. How many of you guys have used the internet to find a date before? Okay, don't raise your hand, please. Some of you guys are raising. I told you, don't raise your hands. Okay, don't raise your hands. It doesn't happen that much with Cornerstone people. Back when I was doing singles ministry, like years and years ago, or it was at age thirty and on up, we had lots of people who were trying to find a spouse by using the internet. And um, so here, here's my question: Is if you or you or somebody you know used a dating service, a dating site? What do you call it? A dating site? A dating site? To try to find a date. Do you, did you, or does somebody know, and again, I'm not asking you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you, but did you have the experience of finding out that the person, the guy or the girl, wasn't at all when you met them like they promised they were going to be on the internet before you met them? You guys know what I'm talking about? Here's, here's what oh, the point is. Sometimes what you see is not what you get. Okay, maybe it's not in, in, in regards to dating on the internet. I hope you guys aren't spending the time trying to find a date on the internet because um, the internet's not the best place. Okay, um, maybe it's, it's not, not in regards to dating. Maybe it's just in regards to somebody you met or knew. Um, you meet somebody and you're like, dude, this guy is great or this woman is great. And as you get to know them, Maybe you're working with them, or maybe they're a roommate, or maybe they're a professor in your class, and you start to realize that what you thought they were like is not at all 
what they're really like and that they had totally misrepresented themselves to you when they first met you. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, this happened especially to me, and the, the time in my life when this most happened to me was back before I was a pastor, and we were doing real estate investment, and we had these rental properties, and at that time, it was so hard to find a house to rent that we'd take a house, and we'd put a sign up, we'd put an ad in the paper, that was really before we were using the internet so much, but we put an ad out there, and we'd just say, show, we, wouldn't, we didn't even put our phone number, just show up at the house at a certain time, and we'd have 10 families show up. And all those families would be telling us all their good points, like, oh, we love to clean. We love doing yard work. We love fixing broken houses. Anything that breaks, we love fixing it. And by the way, we're looking for a good church. And the way they talked about themselves, when we met them, when they're trying to talk us into letting them rent that house, was, we found out, often way, way different from how they really, really were. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so why are people like that? Why are people that way? What's the word that you guys use for people that pretend to be something that they're really not? Fake? Two-faced? Posers. That's right. That's the word. Posers. Who said poser? That's right. Yeah, if you guys, if you guys got Urban Dictionary in your phone, look up, or look up the, word, the meaning of the word poser. It's like a guy who's pretending to be something he's not. He talks to like he knows about surfing. And he's never been surfing in his life? You guys know people like that, right? Posers. That's what a, po- a poser is. Now, here's what I want you guys to think about. Why are, why, are, why are people like that? Maybe you know people like that. You guys know people like that, right? Maybe the truth is that you're like that. And maybe the worst truth is that I am like that sometimes. There have been times in my life, in fact, I was looking for some pictures of myself, um, and I thought, nah, let's not do all that. But, uh, you know, if, if you just, if you look at all your, at your, all your profile pictures on Facebook, like, how often do you guys change your, I know you guys don't do Facebook as much now as you did six or seven years ago. What's that? Instagram. Okay. I don't do Instagram, but is there, do you guys have a profile picture on Instagram? Okay. How often do you change that? Never. I love you, Jeremy. Okay. Okay, I, I was just, I was, I was thinking about this after, and I went through my Facebook profile pictures, and I was looking at all the, my profile pictures, and I was thinking, I got all these pictures in there. Of course, I don't take my bad pictures and put them on there. I take the pictures that, try, that make me look better than I really am. You guys are laughing because you do the same thing. It's like, we want people to see us not really as we really are, my wife can tell you what I really am like, but I don't want you guys to know how bad I really am. She'll tell you. Um, <laughs> no, she won't. She's too nice, I know. If you ask her, she'll say, no, he's a really nice guy. Um, we want people to see us as better than we really are. So what we're, what we're talking about here in the, in the time that we got left is, is why we do that. Why is it that we work so hard to give people a good impression of us. So, we're looking at Acts chapter, last verse of Acts chapter 4. And what we're seeing here is that in this, in this account, the devil is attacking the church in a different way than he did last time. And he's doing it through posers. Okay? So we're going to start by the last verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Acts 4, 36 Joseph, a Levite, 
from Cyprus, whom the apostles called, apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay. What, what do we know about this guy? Just tell me some things from that one verse or those two verses. Okay, he's encouraging. He's encouraging. That's right. Okay, he's rich. Okay. He's rich. Okay, how does you know he's encouraging? Let's just talk about it. She said he's encouraging. Why it, how do we know he's encouraging? They nicknamed this guy Barnabas. Bar means son. Nebus means like encouragement or exhortation. It's not just encouraging. It's encouraging in a way that sometimes is like makes people change the way that they're going. So this guy's the son of encouragement, Barnabas. Okay, so that, what we know is that's not his real name, right? That's his nickname. They give this guy a nickname, Barnabas, because he is such an encourager. How many of you guys got a nickname? Okay, what's your nickname? Tell, just tell, 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 tell us your nickname, Max. Oh, Max is your nickname. Okay. No, um, Maxie Boy. Maxie Boy. Now, does Maxie Boy tell you something about Max? Okay. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, what are, what are the nicknames we got here? Jacob. Hey? Wade. What does that mean? You walk through the river up? Does that go in the water? What does Wade mean? Why they call Jacob Wade, we'll never know. Okay. Oh, my little man, Everett. Okay, you girls never call him anything except my little man, okay? Beanie baby. Okay. Man, some of you girls are falling in love as we speak. Yeah, Stephen. Happy Pappy? Wow. Oh, man. Does, does, Elizabeth, does Elizabeth call you Happy Pappy? Well, Elizabeth, it's your turn. Okay. Anybody else? Do we have any... any yeah. Shaki-chan. That's right. I call you Shaki-chan. That's right. Okay. Okay. Here's the point, guys. Here's the point. You know... I like nicknames. In our culture, American young college culture, you guys don't call each other. In your houses, on your discipleship houses, you guys call each other by nicknames? Yes. I, I mean, I've been, I've been in... Yeah? Okay. Give, give us one of those nicknames. Um, well, in our Okay, well, back where I'm from in the Philippines, everybody's got a nickname. You know, it's like everybody's got a nickname. And so often, your nickname has to do with, like, what you're more like than your real name. So this guy has the name Son of Encouragement because this guy, like Annika said, he's a guy who encourages. He's a guy who's known because of how he talks to people. Okay, what else do you guys know about him? Somebody said something over here, and I think I skipped over it. Oh, you said he's rich, right? Okay, let's talk about his richness. Okay, this guy is... Rich, okay? How did he get rich? Real estate, thank you. Thank you, that's right. He got, he got, he got some money in real estate. What else? What else do we know about this guy? Mm -hmm. 
in, in a perfect Jewish society, that would be the case. Whether or not that was happening at this time is in question. Okay, but that's your, yeah, yeah. What else? He's from out of town. Where is he from? Cyprus. Cyprus. You guys know where Cyprus is, right? Okay, if you guys don't know where Cyprus is and you don't got Google Maps to look up real quick, then oh, there we go. Okay, you got Mediterranean Sea right here, Israel right here, right? And right here you got Cyprus and Crete, okay? So one of those islands. So that's where he's from. Okay, now why is he from Cyprus? He's a Jewish guy, right? Is he Jew? He's Jew. He's Jew. Why is he from Cyprus? Well, because until about, 20, about 30 years ago, the Jews were scattered all over the world. You guys know that, right? It's only been in the past, really been in the past 50 years that they've started to really come back to the land. But they were, they were scattered everywhere. So, this, so here's, he's a Jew from Cyprus. Well, if he's a Jew from Cyprus, what's he doing in Jerusalem? Maybe there was a festival. I think he's living in Jerusalem. Why is he living in Jerusalem? And we're not told where the land was that he sold. But I think, I think he's... I think he's living in Jerusalem. And I think he's living in Jerusalem because he's come from, Jer from Cyprus to Jerusalem. For what purpose? Maybe he heard about Jesus. Maybe he heard about Jesus. So he's come to Jerusalem, and obviously Jesus has touched his life big time. Okay? How does a guy from Cyprus get rich in Jerusalem? He's, he's gone there. I, here, here's what I want you guys to think about. This guy, he's worked hard. He didn't just wake up one morning with the lottery. He's a guy that worked hard, and now he's taking his hard-earned blood, sweat, and tears work that he's done, and he's given it to the cause of the gospel. Okay, so what do you call that? Generous. So this guy's generous. What else do you know about him? He loved God. Okay, obviously he loves God enough to, to do that. Okay? So, so, yes, there's something else. Some, Someone, somebody said he's a Levite. What's a Levite? He's a priest. So are all priests Levites? All the priests were Levites. Are all the Levites priests? No. So the, the, Levites, the Levites were a tribe. Remember, there's 12 tribes. And Levites are a tribe who are scattered through the land of Israel. And what's, what do you guys know about the Levites? Say it again. No, no, nope, no, nope. almost. And what do you guys know about the Levites? What's the deal with the Levites? Yeah, they're they're the priests are all Levites, but the rest of the Levites are kind of like the civil servants. I mean, they're the they, they have responsibility, but there's something else about the Levites. You said they're they're scattered through Israel, and they don't own land. All the other tribes were given land allotments, but the Levites aren't given land. How's this guy in real estate? He inherited it from who? Maybe he inherited it from his wife's family. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. But here's the deal. I think what's going on here, guys, this tells you something. I mean, I was just, I'm just processing all this. Here's this guy who's from the tribe of Levi who understands that the tribe of Levi is to, that because he's part of the tribe of Levi, that he has a call on his life that is specific for ministry. And, of course, at this time, Levites have forgotten that. They're all doing business just like everybody else. But I think his life has been changed by Jesus to the point where he says, 
I'm selling my land because I'm called to ministry. I sell the land, and it wasn't mine to begin with, and so I take it, and I lay it down at the apostles' feet. So that tells us something else about this guy. This guy trusted the church leadership as imperfect as they were. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've given a lot of money away over the years, and I've given money to church. But to sell a house and take all of it and say, I'm going to trust these guys to know what to do with my money more than I know what to do with my money takes a lot of trust. But I want to suggest to you that his trust in church leadership there, as imperfect as they were, is part of the reason why you guys are standing out here today. Because that kind of commitment caused the church in Jerusalem to explode. Okay. Now let's look at what happens next. This guy gives his hard-earned money to imperfect church leaders so they can build the church. Okay, so let's see what happens next. As you can guess, whenever somebody does something sacrificial and everybody else stands back and applauds, there's other people that think, I want that applause too. And there are copycats who follow. But with a different motivation than what the initial servant had. Okay? So what happens here in chapter 5? So we're going to read these first 11 verses of chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Okay? The copycats. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. He's like, Barnabas got a lot of attention. I'm doing it too. See everybody? Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it the money at your disposal? Why did you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Nobody dares to tell her. Your husband just died at church. Verse 8, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yeah, that's the price, she said. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who just buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Okay. What do you know about these guys? Okay, they gave. They gave. And what did they give? What was their motivation in giving? Praise. Praise. No, that's right. What? To be seen. Yeah, that's right. I'll give. I'll give if it makes me look good. And if it doesn't, I won't. They were motivated by something different than what they pretended to be motivated by. 
You guys uh, hear that? They pretended to be motivated by something different than what they, they, sorry, they were motivated by something different than what they were pretending to be motivated by. They're pretending to be motivated by supporting the church. Okay, and what else? Do, what else do you know about this couple? They're in on it. This is a collusion deal. This is they've they've planned this. It's like okay, you tell him, I'll tell him the same price, and we get the glory. I mean, how 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 warped their minds have to be to be able to plan this? But they plan it. Okay, so they, here's a couple. They plan to do this. Okay, so let me ask you guys this. What was their sin? Lying. Lying to who? The Holy Spirit. Look at verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, Peter said, you, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And verse 4, he says, you, you have not lied to men but to God. And I'm thinking, how is that? They lie to God? How do you lie to God? He knows everything already. I mean, how is it that they lie to God? Here's what I think this is about. Is... When a person lies to the church of God, the people of God, for the sake of their own vain glory, it is as if they're lying to God himself. And God takes that very, very seriously. So, do you guys think, let me ask you this. Do you guys think that Ananias and Sapphira were believers. Okay, maybe they were. Maybe they were. I've always just assumed they were. Maybe they weren't. What makes us assume that they were? What, why have I assumed that they were? Because they were at church. Aren't all people who go to church believers? No way. No way. We just assume. We assume they are. It's like, man, they came to the cornerstone. They must be not just believers, but excellent believers. Not. So we've, I've assumed that they're believers. But here's, here, here's, I don't think they're believers, guys, as I'm processing this. Let me ask you this. Were they, a part, were they a part of the church community? Yeah. They're part of the church community. I mean, think about it. How do they get to be a part of the church community? Friends. That's right. Friends. That's right. Almost everybody here came because some friend invited them. Okay, some friend invited them. They go to they go to church, and you can hear them as they're driving home, going, "Good worship team, I like that music, and that way that guy Peter preaches is that they have some good stories." And the coffee, you guys, coffee is is as good as Starbucks, and it's free, and everybody's so friendly. And, you know, I like what you guys are doing. I think I'm going to give you guys a donation. I'd like to support what you're I think this is the way they're thinking. They're thinking this is a good cause. And we'd like to give a little bit of money to it. Especially if we get some notoriety from giving that money. Here's what I want you guys to think about. It's possible to be a part of the church community and to do all the Christian things. And even serve in the coffee shop at the Cornerstone. Or live in the discipleship house and go through all the stuff and yet be nothing more than a poser. These guys are posers. They're pretending to be something that they're not. And there's a place where Jesus talks about this. Jesus talks about this in Luke 16, 15. 
Guys, this is worth writing down. It's worth looking looking up. Luke 16, 50. Jesus says, you guys, he's talking to, he's talking to the, the people who were pretended to be holy people who weren't. He says, you guys are those who try to make yourselves look so good in front of other people. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed in everybody else's eyes is detestable in the sight of God. God just thinks that's worthless. If the motivation is about yourself, it's vainglory. Here's the deal. God isn't looking for handouts from posers. It's not as though he's in need. Like, would somebody just please give me a little bit of money so I can build my kingdom? No way. He's looking for total devotion from people who are willing to give everything for him. And here's the deal, guys. He isn't requiring that everybody's going to sell their house and their car and their land. If it helps to keep it, keep it. If it brings, if it builds the kingdom, I mean, for me, not, for me to get rid of my car and my house, does that help me build the kingdom? No, probably not. Because then i got to walk to work. It's a long way. So, I mean, so we, don't, we don't just say, okay, that means we've got to get rid of everything. We make our decisions about what to keep and how much to give based on how much, his king, how much, how, how much we can give to build in his kingdom. But it's not like he's demanding these people to sell the land and to give everything to him. The problem wasn't that they didn't give all the money. The problem was that they, that they pretended to be sacrificial when they weren't sacrificial. They wanted the reputation for being sacrificially giving when they weren't that way at all. And the consequence, guys, what was the consequence of their sin? They died. Don't you guys think that's a little bit harsh? I mean, maybe give the guys some... God, if you're going to discipline them, maybe you can just give them some financial difficulty this week. Or give, you know, give them the mumps. That'll teach them. But God, God puts them to death. And I've thought, come on, God, what about, what about your mercy? I mean, was, was what they did really, really that bad that you had to take their lives? And the answer is, God is perfect in justice. God never, God cannot do wrong. God can never do something that is unjust. He can't. If he, if he could, he wouldn't be God. Think about this, guys. The mercy of God doesn't mean that he ignores sin. The mercy of God means that Jesus goes to death and pays for every sin of every pe- person with his blood on the cross. All sin paid for by Jesus. All sin paid for by Jesus for all time. And yet, do you guys remember? Jesus says at one point, he says in Mark 3, he says, Jesus says all sins will be forgiven. You guys remember this? But then he says, except for one sin that can never be forgiven. And what is that? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So what's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And there's lots of talk about what all that means. But Jesus says all sin can be forgiven except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And this is what this means. This means a refusal to accept the mercy and forgiveness of God. The person who says, you know what, God, I don't need your mercy. 
I don't need your forgiveness. I can do it on my own. I can earn my way to heaven by my goodness is the person who is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So, do you guys think that Ananias and Sapphira did that? Yeah, I think that's what they did. I think that's what Ananias and Sapphira are doing. They're not just trying to make themselves look good in front of other people. They're believing. They believe that they can do something that will make them look good to God. I think that's what's going on here. That's the lie. That's when Peter says, you lied to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit. What they're doing is they, they believe that, they're, that they can give a, an amount of money that will put them in right standing before God. Seeing salvation as being something that they can buy. You guys hear me? You guys with me? Okay. Where does Peter say that thinking comes from? Verse 3. Say it again. Satan. Look at verse 3. Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart so that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? What Peter is saying is Satan has deceived you into you thinking that you can do something good and that you're going to be okay. That you're, you're not a, only trying to justify yourself before people. You're trying to justify yourself before God by giving this, this money. And you have lied to yourself and lied to to the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's the devil's strategy. That's always the devil's strategy. Jesus has paid for all sin once and for all, forever and ever. All sin is paid for. And yet the devil's strategy is try to get people, and this is, this is at the heart of every, every other religion in the world, that if you'll do this and this and this and this and this and give this much money and say these prayers, that you can earn your way to God and fix the mess that you're in. That's what, that's what every religion teaches. That the gap between where you should be and where you really are can be filled by what you do. And that's a lie. That gap can only be filled by Jesus. And the lie from the devil and our lie to ourselves and our, the, uh, the humans, hu humanity's lie to God is to say, I can pay a little money and I'm good. What God's asking us for, what God's looking for is authenticity where we come to him and we say there's no amount of money i can give there's no good deed i can do there's no amount of love i can muster up in my heart i can't do it being authentic before him admitting our sin that's what saves us an admission that we need him do we have to be perfect nope because jesus jesus was perfect for us Jesus' perfection was put on us. So we don't have to be perfect, but we have to be, we have to perfectly understand that we're not perfect, that our only hope is in him. And here's, here's the deal. Some of us, some of us right here at the Cornerstone are spinning our wheels, trying to make our lives, trying to justify our own existence. That if I can just do enough, if I can just get my hair set enough, I'm going to get people to like me, or if I can just get the right job, people are going to like me, or if I just do, if I can just do this ministry, then God's going to like me. And here's the great news, guys. He already likes you. He likes you. Jesus likes you. He died for you. The reason, guys, the reason that so many of us are posers, 
But the reason that Steve Headland has a problem with trying to be something that I'm not is because some of us, because we forget that we're already more accepted than we could ever imagine. We're not accepted because of what we've done or how cool we look or because of the cool shoes we wear. We're accepted because of Jesus. His, our value is from him, not from us. Everybody else in the world is going to tell you that your value is, is from how good you are, how you dress, what your job is, what your degree is, what kind of car you all that stuff. And it's all a lie. Your value, my friends, is from him. And he valued you enough to, to, to pay for your sin with his blood. He loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you guys. Guys, just say this. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. What, what we're talking about tonight is all the posing is over. It's all over. You don't have to pretend anything more. You're rotten without him. We're helpless without him. Why do we keep trying to pretend that we get, we get something good? We, without him, we have nothing good. And the realization of that frees us from all the trying. Praise God. It's an exciting thing. Is anybody, here, we got a little bit of time. Does anybody got a testimony of the freedom that came from understanding that truth? No pressure. Just, I'm, I know some of you guys are like, man, I've been set free because I realized that I'm loved by him. Yeah, yeah. Give us a, give us a. Hey guys, um, so with me, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of different things that um, I used to struggle with as far as anxiety and stress and overthinking and things like that. Um, recently, though, it has been more of like an anxiety-like victory, I guess, something you guys could uh, take from that is like, for example, I was in wrestling, like I had to get one-on-one -on -one with the guy on the mat and like, it was so bad that, um, like, I couldn't breathe. Um, there was times where, you know, you're as the anxiety really drains you from, like, the physical battle more so than, like, if you were just relaxed. So it was even worse on that note. Um, and so I did that for, like, two seasons, and, like, it was really bad. Um, but ever since recently not, that I've gotten closer to God, um, like, I don't, I'm not afraid. Like, I don't really get anxious. I just kind of get uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty nice. Uh, overthinking and overanalyzing. There's, that's gone. Like, as far as uh, suspicions go, like, that's gone too. Um, yeah, like, I guess in general, like, a lot of things kind of lined up back back to where they're supposed to go. So I'm really thankful for that. Thank you. 
Anybody else got a story of how the realization of God's love for them set them free from muck? You point at somebody? Dear goodness. Um, I don't know where the words went, so I'll let God speak. Um, really just kind of here. Um, back in high school, I kind of just like stepped back because I was like, eh, all this drama, <laughs> nah. Um, but also stepping back kind of like, I was like, well, okay, nobody really cares to know who I am. Nobody really cares to get to know me. Um, and then I came here. And the moment I walked in the door, I, I look at look back now, and I, at first I saw people that were like, hey, you're great, and you, we want to know who you are, um, and really want to get to know who you are, but really it was just the Lord just welcome me back and say, hey, I, I love you for who you are, okay? Don't, so don't be afraid to step into the person that you want to be, because that person is somebody that you're just going to love, because I love that person that's hiding inside of you. And well, okay, I'm here. Uh, too late to turn back now, so. <laughs> okay, one more. Um, when, whenever I was in high school as well, um, I was trying really, really hard to be a good person. And that's what I thought the whole point of being alive and being on earth was before like getting saved and knowing who Jesus was. And after, during the process of getting saved where I was at, I was told like, it's impossible. Like, you're not a good person, Ed, but that's okay because Jesus died. And it was really relieving and all the anxiety like fell to the floor in that moment because I was trying so hard to hold myself to this expectation that was impossible. And it dropped and there was, there was no expectation. It didn't even exist anymore. And it was really cool that I didn't have to rely on myself, but I could rely on Jesus who will not let me down. Because at that time I was ready to be done with everything. So yeah, short version. Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, basically, for a lot of my life, I struggled with like having like bad thoughts of myself and like low self-worth and all that junk. <laughs> and then God's like, hey, you're pretty cool. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and it's like, yes, really. You love me? Yes, you. <laughs> so to you. All of you out here who feeling like, oh, man, I don't matter. I'm, like, trash, worthless. No, you're not. God loves you. Okay, guys, I just want to remind you of a verse that, that talks about the love of God. Do you guys know this verse in 1 John 4, 18? There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You know, you know what's, what's the opposite of loving? 
it's fearing. I mean, if, you, if you're afraid of what everybody else thinks, the problem is understanding God's love for you. If you understand God's love for you, then you can handle all the people that throw their muck at you. And if you don't understand God's love for you, it's going to be pretty hard to handle that. Jesus loves you guys. Jesus loves you. So guys, we're going to close in prayer. And then our prayer team, we've got some people upstairs in the, in the prayer room. We're going to pray for anybody who needs prayer. Um, so if you guys need prayer, um, as soon as we're done here, you guys can go up there and there will be people up there that will pray for you. Okay? So let's stand up and let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you solidify this truth in our hearts, seal this truth on our hearts that you love us more than anybody else ever has, and there's nothing that we can do that we would do that would change your love for us, that you died for the people in this room. Would you help us to realize that, even though we're never going to completely understand your love? And I pray that the people in this room being rooted and established in love would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Help us to live that way, to know that. And I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they may know the hope to which you have called them and the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and this incomparably great power for those of us who believe. But Father, we, I just ask him for that kind of grace in the lives of the people at the Cornerstone. And that, that the, those truths would, would uh, explode out of our lives all over this campus and all over this city and all over this world. Teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.